Okay, then today on the show, I have an absolute rarest of the rare of the rare of the rare of the rarest of guests. She was the first ever female referee in the WWF, Miss Rita Chatterton. How are you doing today? Hey, good. How are you? Doing good, doing good. We had a few technical problems. So if anyone is wondering why this is recorded on Zoom, we had like an hour of uh, very technical problems. Nothing to do with us. It was just outside factors and phones and bits and pieces like that. But we're here now anyway, and it's nice to talk to you today. I know like you haven't really done an interview like this in about 30 years, like we touched on earlier. So really appreciate you talking to me today. It's been a little bit. Definitely been a little bit. Yeah. So look, if we rewind to your life before you became involved in wrestling, like what was it like and what did you do and what did you want to do kind of when you were growing up? Um, You know, prior to wrestling, I actually wanted to go into um, either teaching or medicine. But I, uh, I had a younger brother and wrestling was his dream. And he was just avid. You know, every Sunday, most people would be going to church. We would be watching wrestling. <laughs> and every Sunday, it was like, I'm going to be a wrestler someday. I'm going to be a wrestler someday. It's like, yeah, okay. Uh-huh, sure. You know, little boy's dream. You know, we didn't, didn't think much of it. Okay, you'll grow out of that. But he didn't grow out of it. When he was 18... Unfortunately, I lost him in a car accident, and the day that he was killed, I went into his room, and there was a notepad there, and he had a list of wrestling schools and who he had talked to and how he was going to pay for it, and, you know, I realized that day that he still wanted to be a wrestler. That was something that was still a part of his his dream, and, you know, I looked at my, my dad, and I said, you know, I'm going to do it for him. Somehow, some way, I'm going to do it for him. Um, Took five years, you know, it took five years before I could get into training because, you know, I had, I was a single parent. I had a daughter, I divorced, um, needed to save money, needed to figure it out all out, but it happened, you know, it, it took some time and it happened. And uh, I drove Tony Altimore crazy. Tony didn't want to train me in the very beginning. So uh, I drove the man nuts. I'd call him two or three times a week at the gym. You ready? You training the referees yet? Uh, no. You train a referee? Uh, no. And at first, you know, I was didn't even want to be a referee in the beginning. Okay. Um, let me step back here a little bit. Um, I was working for Wonder Bread at the time, and I was going up a hill, big hill in my truck, and my lung collapsed. And Look. I pulled the truck over. Don't ask me how I managed to pull the truck over, but I pulled the truck over, and another driver happened to be coming up behind me, thought I broke down and pulled over behind me. and. I ended up in the hospital. I ended up having major lung surgery. And at that point, figured, okay, well, that there goes wrestling. There's no way. I mean, they pretty much cut me in half. You know, it took 120 stitches to close me back up after the surgery. Wow. So I kind of figured, yeah, that's the end of that. So um, I'm laying in the hospital, and my dad came to visit. And wrestling happened to be on. It was a Sunday and wrestling was on and we were watching wrestling and this light went off. And I said, you know, I can't be a wrestler for him, but there's no reason why I can't be a referee. And that's when I started driving Tony Altimore crazy because I knew, you know, Tony was a a wrestler for years. He was the best referee I had ever seen. And if anybody was going to train me, I wanted it to be him. Well, he didn't have the same idea. (laughs) He was like, yep, nope, nope. What was Tony's? 
what what was his what was his reluctance uh rita and not wanted to train you being a female he wouldn't tell me that at the at the time at the time it was just no i don't train i don't train referees now i'm just now i'm not training referees later on he told me it was because it was because i was a female but um and the agreement we had when he finally decided to train me was that he would help me get my new york state license but he would not help me get into the wwf and he didn't <laughs> he, he stuck right to his word he did not yeah but um it was crazy. It was pretty crazy. I met a lot of good people in, in that wrestling school. You know, uh, Mario Mancini, Dave Barbie, uh, AJ Patrizzi, you know, it's, it's Seth Cohen. I mean, they were all wrestlers back with me at the time. Um, it was, it was like a little family, you know, you kind of bonded together because you went through a lot together. Yeah. You know, and and throwing around that ring and get bounced off the off the buckles. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So and whilst Tony didn't help you then get into the WWF, how did that opportunity arise or how did it come about? Okay. Well, I got my license in New York State. And the way it worked back then was New York State assigned the referees. Okay. So because I was a New York State the licensed referee in New York state, they would assign me to different matches and I'd work a few matches and I would send resume after resume after resume to WWF. Um, at the time it was WWF and yeah. I would call and call and I did as far as Vince's secretary and she'd tell me to send a resume. And I told her I've sent 25 of them already. Would you open one up please and give it to Vince? And, um, it, it was crazy. So that absolutely got me nowhere. About six months later, I was in Glens Falls at the Civic Center in Glens Falls, New York. And after the match, I worked a couple of matches. And after the match, I happened to stop in a store, a little little grocery store here in, in town. And Blackjack Mulligan was in there. And I happened to, I refereed his match that night. And he said, hello. And we got talking a little bit. And he says, what's the matter? He says, you seem pretty down. And I said, well... I'm trying to get more work from the WWF, but I can't get past Vince McMahon's secretary. I, you know, I've called him and called him and called him. And he said, well, that's because you're calling the wrong person. And at that time, a man named George Scott was Vince McMahon's right-hand man. Okay. And he said, anything that goes to Vince has to go through George. So um, he talked to George about me, uh, told George about my match, that I had worked his match. and. Uh, got me in contact with George. And the next thing I know, um, I come home from work one day and my phone was ringing and I pick up the phone and I said, hello. And the man, and he said, um, this, this male voice said, may I speak with Rita Marie, please? Well, the only people that called me Rita Marie was anybody that had anything to do with wrestling. And I'm like, right. this is Rita. He says, Hey, Rita, Vince McMahon here. And I almost fell on the floor. I'm like, oh. and it was like, you know, here's the man I've been calling for months, and now he's finally calling me. And he says, you know, I understand you talk with George, and he and and Blackjack Mulligan were pretty impressed, and we want to get some some TV on you. Can you be in Madison Square Garden in like two days? I'm like, uh, 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 yeah, I'll be there. Because <laughs> yep. it was like just such a going from not working at all to Madison Square Garden. I mean, that's huge. 
And that's how it all started. Um, I filmed my first match the day before my birthday. It was January 21st, 1985 in Madison Square Garden. That was the first televised match I'd ever done. And it just took off from there. Yeah. And what age were you then, Rita? Uh, First match. My first match was actually in Middletown in August of 1984. August, yeah, August of 1984 was at a fairgrounds, but that was before McMahon knew about me. In fact, that's that's kind of an interesting story. I uh, this is my very very first match. I'm scared to death. Never did this before. Going to work in front of people. Oh my god, this is insane. Yeah. I get to the fairgrounds and I pull up, and the guy says, you know, it's like ten ten dollars or whatever it was to get in. And I said, well, I'm the referee for tonight for wrestling. And he started laughing. I was like, yeah, sure you are. I was like, no, I really am. So I showed him my license and he said, oh, okay. And he let me in, showed me where, where to go. Now, at the time I was driving a 77 Firebird, really sweet, souped up, really nice car. And I'm in the back and I'm leaning against my car and Pat Patterson comes walking over and he says, who are you here with? And I said, well, I'm here, here with myself. I said, he said, uh, look, at, it's for, this is for the wrestlers. You can't be back here. And I was like, well, I'm your referee for tonight. And he started laughing at me. He's like, sweetheart, you got to do better than that. I've been around here for 30 years. You're, you're no referee. And I was like, well, do you want to see my license? He's like, yeah. So I go in the car. I get my license. I hand him my license. And he looks at the license. And he looks at me. And he looks back at the license. And he looks at me. And he's just shaking his head no. And he literally throws the license at me and says, who in their right in mind would give a female a referee's license and he stormed away wow. and he went into this little little travel trailer and i don't had no idea who was in there but you could hear him screaming had no idea you know he couldn't make out what he was saying but he was screaming and a couple of minutes later jay strongbow comes walking over to me and he says um can i see your license please so i hand him my license and again he looks at my license looks at me, looks at my license, looks at me, hands me back the license and he just turns around and starts walking away and he's shaking his head no and he's like. And he goes into the, the travel trailer. Now the screaming starts all over again. I go, okay. Was, was there 10 that- minutes or so later, I'm having a heart attack. I mean, my heart's pounding out of my chest. I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm scared to death to begin with. And then I get this kind of crap going on. Thank God, and luckily, Tony Altimore somewhat prepared me for it, because he told me when I finally do get there, they're not going to be happy. He was right. They weren't. Well, 10 minutes or so later, uh, Richard Herring, who was the athletic commissioner, New York State athletic commissioner at the time, gets there, and he was the one who assigned me for the night. And he walks over and says, Rita, I'm so glad you can make it. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, I'm not quite sure how long you're going to feel that way. He's like, why? So I told, tell him what happens. He says, okay. He says, well, don't worry about it. <laughs> Easy for you to say, right? Yeah. So now he goes in this travel trailer and the screaming starts all over again. I'm like, great. A few minutes later, now I'm, I'm trying to get my bearings. And like I said, Tony had prepared me for this. So I was kind of ready for it. And Pat Patterson, Jay Strongbow, and 
Richard Herring come walking over to me and Pat Patterson's got a fistful of money. And he walks over to me, he says, here, take this. And I looked at him and I said, what's that? And he says, you're getting paid for tonight, but you're not refereeing anything. Wow. And I looked at him and said, yes, I am. He just kind of stood back and I said, look at, if I don't referee tonight, I will sue you personally. And I will sue you and I will sue you. And I pointed to the other two. I said, and then I will sue the WWF because I'm a good referee. I've worked hard for it. And yes, I am working. Okay. What? They storm away. Rick Charing kind of looks at me and smiles because he knows, I mean, he just assigned me. So I ended up doing, my very first match was a woman's tag team match. And I found out a few months later that Pat Patterson told the women to break my legs and make sure I never wanted to get in the ring again. Luckily, being women, they, instead of doing anything to hurt me, they helped me. And that's dick. how I got started. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Patterson yeah. was. But, you know, but it was crazy. And it was like, it, it was a crazy world. And things were so much different back then. But luckily, you know, the women knew that you had to work 10 times as hard for a quarter of the recognition that the men got at the time. So yeah. instead of doing anything to, to hurt, they actually helped me. So yeah. it was, yeah. that was my first experience. That was one of the things I was going to say to you about how difficult it would have been in the 80s as a woman trying to get into that kind of masculine, muscular kind of business, you know, and with the way things were back then, like compared to the way things are now, that kind of stuff wouldn't have been tolerated in this day and age, wouldn't would it be fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Today, things would, I don't think they would even have the nerve to do that or say that, you know, come right out and tell me, you're not refereeing anything, you know, you're a woman who would give a woman a referee's license. I mean, you know, they wouldn't even think about saying that today. But back then, they had no problem with it. Yeah. When, when you look you back know? on, when you look back on that time and you say, obviously, there'll be some kind of negative experiences. But if you were to pick out like, who were the people that you got on with backstage and who were the guys that you said, yes, I can trust this guy or I can trust this guy? Who were the cool ones? Well, you know, very few, to be honest with you. Um, Hulk Hogan was always a great guy. He was always, always out there for the kids, always, you know, talking with the kids. So he always was always nice. Andre the Giant and I became very, very good friends. Um, Mario Mancini, he and I went to school together. We trained with Tony Altamore. Mario and I became very good friends. Um, but pretty much because of being a female, I didn't really interact a whole lot with the guys. I, I always had a separate dressing room, which was usually a ladies room somewhere. Um, and most of the interaction would be, okay, well, you're going to do this match and so-and-so is going to win. And this is how they're going to win. They're going to win with a sunset flip, or they're going to win with you know, with a, a, a clothesline off the rope or, you know, and they would, and that would be it. They wouldn't tell me anything else. So yeah. I kind of had to wing pretty much everything and didn't really get to know a whole lot of, I mean, knew them, knew, hello, how are you? But that was pretty much the extent of most of it. Um, it at the rings, um, there was different, you know, different places we would stay, different hotels and stuff that we would stay. And a lot of them had bars where you would go to the bar and have a drink here and there. So you get to talk to, you know, a little bit of them then. But the majority of it was, it was pretty hush-hush. Here you go. 
Yeah. You know, and as far as they were concerned, for me, it was like, here's your hat. What's your hurry? You know, kind of goodbye. Yeah. You know, for the uh, most part. Yeah, because Mario, like, told me that when you went into the business, one of the things that he said to you was, stay away from the guys. Was that because, like, people liked to party back then? It was the 80s. Like, you know, it was pretty much like they were living kind of rock and roll lifestyles, yeah. some of these guys, weren't they? Oh, they were. They all were. Yeah. They all were. They all had the, their share of what they used to call arena rats, which were girls that would hang around the, the backstage and try and meet the guys. And so it was always pretty much, you know, just stay away. Just oh, And I didn't have a problem with that. I was engaged. I, you know, had a very happy home life. I, you know, didn't have a problem with that. So, but they, you know, it did, like I said, it had its moments. It got pretty crazy. Anything spring to mind? I'm sorry. I said, does anything spring to mind from something you may have seen backstage there? Anything funny or any kind of prank that anyone played? Or I always kind of throw in that question. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things that, that kind of totally threw me off, as I said earlier, they didn't, never really shared with me what was going on. So I was doing a midget match one time and... Little Beaver came up behind me and bit me in the back end. <laughs> like, you know, I understand why a dog chases his tail around because I'm running around in circles trying to get this, this person off my back end. So that was, I don't know if that was planned. I don't know if that was just, if it just happened because they didn't share things with me, but, but it, it was quite interesting. Yeah. And when you, when you look so. back, when you look back, we'll say into, the locker rooms and was there anyone in that locker room that was kind of they always talk about this was later on that the undertaker was the locker room leader in his era and stuff like that but was there anyone there who was kind of manning the troops i guess and who was who would be listened to backstage oh always andre andre was called boss everybody called him boss everybody but me he wouldn't let me call him boss he used to tell me i'm you're my friend you're not i'm not your boss but um definitely andre Beyond that, I really, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't in the room with the guys. Yeah. So their interactions were whatever happened out in the hallway, which were very slim. There wasn't a whole lot that went on in the hall, Yeah, you know, other than kind of passing through. Yeah. But it's it still a pretty interesting part of my life. Yeah, as an Irishman, I always look and I, I see this thing come up online every so often. I don't know if it's true that Andre the Giant holds the Guinness World Record for drinking the most amount of beers in the shortest amount of time. Yeah, he does. He did. Yeah. That boy could drink. I'll tell you. That boy. Um, we would go to dinner and just at dinner for the, the half hour, 45 minute dinner while we were eating, he would down three bottles of wine with no problem at all. You know, it's like, yeah, bring out the twin sister. No, isn't there a triplet to that bottle? And, wow. you know, and oh my God, that man could put it away. I believe, uh, I believe the record is like 156 bottles or cans of beer in one sitting. Oh, I mean, that's, that's insane. <laughs> like, I know the guy was but, huge, like, but where did he put it? My God. Yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, he was a big boy, but he, you know. I, a lot of his drinking was because of the pain. He was always, he was constantly in pain. Yeah. You know, so it kind of helped with that. And 
and because of his because of his size as well, he was well able to handle it. Yes, yes, he was, and, he, and like I said, he was a, he was a good man. Andre was a good man, very generous, very kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, our good friend, Mister Mario Mancini, does be on this podcast quite a bit, and he he always throws in like hidden gems of stories he's told some about. Who was he told? The Undertaker. Obviously, he was Undertaker's first match. He gave a great Hulk Hogan story, gave things like that. I want to hear a good Mario Mancini story from you. Ah, the first time I refereed Mario, um, it was a little arena in the summer. It wasn't televised, little place. He played that off so well that I kind of, you know, as a referee, I went running over to him because he's my friend. He's, I trained with him. And he played that off so well. I'm leaning over. I'm like, honey, are you okay? <laughs> are you all right? And he's like, I'm all right. <laughs> and it was like, but I really, truly believed he was hurt. I was like, you know, do I need to get help for you or what? But it was like, he was just crazy. He was, he would do whatever it took to sell and, and sell he did. You know, he was, he was uh, hired as a jobber, which is someone that, gets paid to lose um, to the bigger talent. And there was no one better. There was no one better. Like I say, he's, you know, you're in the ring and you know it's, you know what's going on. And yet it's like, are you all right? <laughs> because it was just the, the looks on his face and the, the moans and the groans and I'm like, holy crap, is he all right? So, but he's another good man, you know? Yeah. Few good men out there. A few. Few idiots, but a few good men. <laughs> Mario, <laughs> Mario, and yourself, and we we need to touch on this. We're in the the New York Post recently for sorry, the New York Magazine. My apologies for uh, a, a new story that's you know everybody will know about, and I don't really need to mention what it is. And I will put the the right. link in this video to the article as well. But I just want to know how the process of that came about and how it all kind of came to light again just recently. Um, well, it pretty much came to light. I had met uh, Abraham Reisman um, and had talked with him about my referee days. And this was after I had received the, the award from the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And next thing I know, um, McMahon was in the papers again for paying hush money. And uh, Mr. Reisman called me and asked me a few questions. I answered a few questions for him. Next thing I know, we're in the magazine. And, and here we are. You know, it's, it's things are crazy. Um, I, my phone is going crazy with people wanting me to do interviews, wanting me to do television, wanting me to do this show and that show. At this point, I have chosen not to do anything. Um, doesn't mean I won't in the future, but at, at this point, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. So I'm just going to sit back, take my time, think about it and figure it out. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to see it, uh, they're more than welcome to read the article. It's New York Magazine. Or uh, if they want to know the rest of the story, I reported this story 30 years ago. 
um, with Geraldo Rivera on Now It Can Be Told, and that's on YouTube, so they're more than welcome to go and see it there. But as far as I'm concerned, at this point, right now, today in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm just not even going there. I'm not going there in my life again. I, yeah. You know, it still hurts. The whole thing still hurts. The whole thing still bothers me. So I would really just rather not, not go there. Yeah, and it, like we 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 discussed that we were not going to go into details about that anyway. But you said the whole with Vince McMahon coming back into the news—that's how this kind of came about. So I I take it that you're not surprised that he was back in the news for this kind of thing. No, not at all. <laughs> not I'm surprised it's taken this long, to be honest with you. Yeah, but um, yeah, none of it surprises me. Yeah, and. You with stuff like this, there's always kind of more coming. You have the feeling that, like, I've got the feeling that this is just not quite it. You know, when some people kind of yeah, the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg. I've got a feeling that there's more on the way, but that's nothing that I know about or anything like that. I, that's just my guess. So, um, yeah, I would it, say it's a good guess. I don't know anything. I don't know anything either at this point, but. I would say that's a good guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, social media and things like that. You, you kind of you stepped away from the wrestling business, as you said after that after that point in your life. Um, do you right. get do you get reminded of it much, or do you do you go online and you do you search these things, or what are people saying about me? And because people still do talk about you in the business. You know, the last couple of weeks. I have, yeah, um, just to see what's going on out there, just out of curiosity. But, I, you know, it still, it brings back a lot. It was a long time ago, but that, you know, it, it still brings back a lot. Um, when uh, Seth asked me to to do the Hall of Fame with him, yeah, I, no, I said no. I absolutely wanted no part of it. And, yeah. and He's like, but Rita, you know, I, I, we want you to have the first Trailblazer Award and on and on and on. And he, he wouldn't, <laughs> he was relentless. He wouldn't let up. And then he got my daughter involved. And the, between the two of them, they get kind of ganged up on me. And I was like, all right, you know what? It's right here in Albany. I know everybody that's going to be there. I don't have a problem with the people that are going to be there. It'd be a thank you very much. See you. Hi, goodbye. And done. Well, that's not how it's turning out. So. Yeah. Yeah. I always, so, I know, always. People are coming out of the yeah, I always say to people that I talk to writers and uh, editors and magazine workers and any kind of people from the business. And what we always say is, and most of these guys might not even be involved with it anymore, but it's like once you put your foot in that door of the wrestling business, it seems that no matter what, you're never quite out of it. Right. You know, it, it's kind of like riding a Harley. Once you get on the bike and you ride, you want to continue to ride. Yeah. And it gets in your blood and wrestling gets in your blood and it did in mine. And it, like I said, I put it aside for a long, long, long time. But once I stepped back in, you know, there's a lot of good things about wrestling. It's not, you know, I've had some really horrid experiences, but it's not all horrid experiences. You know, I've had some really good experiences. I've made a few good friends. Andre the Giant and I were very good friends. Um, Mario Mancini and I were friends. You know, and 
some things like that that you know makes it priceless mm-hmm. you know? when when you did go out with the business what did you turn your life to then and what what have you kind of been doing since then for people that might want to know um i became a i started working with children um with mainly new york city kids um i worked at berkshire farms as a youth care counselor and i worked at uh vander Heiden as also a youth care counselor um vander Heiden hall in in my area um which was very rewarding um you know you take kids and help them turn negatives into positives yeah you know and uh, you know then um, some of the kids got had found out about my wrestling, and I was like, "See, that's proof that you can do anything you want to do if you want to do it." You know, and they were like, "Wow, you were the first female referee! How did you do that?" And it's like, I worked hard for it. You know, it wasn't handed to me. Tony Eltimore didn't just say, "Here you go." You know, I worked hard. I was there every weekend, working out and training, and and it, it was hard. And uh, Tony finally said, "Okay, go get your license. You're ready." which seemed like forever, <laughs> but, um, but you know, as I still tell kids today, you can do anything in the world you want to, you can be president if you want to, if you want it bad enough, you f- go for it, you fight for it, you, you work hard and you go around the obstacles. Yeah. You know, and A quick question before we, before we wrap up. Um, if you were offered a role within the wrestling business to do something again, whether it be commentary, whether it be refereed, whether it be anything at all, would you go back to the business to work? Um, I would consider it. It would depend on what it was. I, I mean, I never completely close a door. I would never go back to work for Vince McMahon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never. But that doesn't mean I hate wrestling. That doesn't mean I'm down on wrestling. In fact, I have a little girl right now that I'm training. I'm helping to train. Um, here's another quick story for you. Um, yeah. She, uh, my daughter has a daycare and she used to babysit this little girl and her family big time, big, big, big time into wrestling. And last year she went to school and her teacher, gave her an assignment gave them an assignment to uh write an essay on what they wanted to be when they they got older and to do the research on it well her essay was done on she wants to be a wrestling diva (laughs) and she did the research she checked into it um she took her her essay to school and a teacher read it and said i'm sorry this isn't a real job and i won't accept it now this girl's a straight a student yeah, and she was pretty much told, you know, you you redo it or you take a zero. And she said, give me a zero. And this is Gemma. She's 13. Oops. Oh, no. You there? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. I'm going to show you a picture of Gemma. She's 13 years old and she's training. Um, I don't know if you can see her or not. That's Gemma. Yeah. And uh, like I said, she's, she's training and she's doing a great job. Um, you know, she's, like you said, she's only 13, so she can't do any wrestling just yet, but she's being, you know, being a valet and walking the guys out and, you know, doing a little bit of commentary. And by the time she's 18, she's going to be so ready for this business. It's unbelievable. 
yeah, that's great. And and, and obviously, she's very good. Very, yeah, very good. She's ready. Yeah. What you said with the teacher there, and that's not a real job and whatever, kind of, it kind of it made me think about you in the 80s where them saying like, oh, we can't have a woman referee or we can't do this and we can't do that. So that's kind of, that story's come a little bit full circle. So that's a very nice way yeah. to kind of, you're probably thinking of you back then and her now being in a kind of a similar boat. So that's a very nice story. Yeah. yeah, the more I thought about it, the more angry I became. I'm like, you know, I don't care what a child wants to do. I don't care if they want to collect cockroaches for a living. You know, yeah. you don't destroy a child's dream. 